Now take your Bible, go with me to 2 Timothy, and or I'm sorry, Acts chapter number 2. We'll get to 2 Timothy in just a minute. And I'm going to talk to you for just a little while. I'm going to do more teaching tonight um, than, uh, than preaching if you want to make the distinction. But one of the things that you find in the office, if you go to Ephesians chapter number 4, one of the gifts that God gives the church is the pastor. And if you look in our Bible, that's pastor-teacher. That's a slash or a hyphen, uh, the way that is given to us. And so you understand that part of that role is, uh, is to teach and, and to speak the Word of God in, in truth and in love. And I looked, and it's been a few years ago. Uh, matter of fact, I forgot what year. But if you remember a few weeks ago, I went to the uh, young people's class and I taught on, you know, why we're a Baptist church. And, uh, and it reminded me that several years ago when I first came here, I, I taught what we would call the Baptist distinctives. And as I've been thinking and praying about what to do on Wednesday night, getting back into another uh, series, sometimes I do books, sometimes I do topics, uh, but on Wednesday night I go through these. I, I thought at this point in our juncture uh, as a church, it's a good time to go back over this. And the reason being is uh, the world wants to take your distinctives away from you. Uh, but really, we need to make sure we understand why we're Baptist and uh, what we mean by that. And, uh, you know, some people are the, have the right position, uh, but the wrong disposition. And some people have the truth, but their face doesn't know it. And I don't want to be one of those people that's mean and hateful and right. And so for a little while, we're going to give you that tonight is kind of an introductory. And uh, you're going to get just a little bit of history and then kind of the theme of what we're going to talk about, and then we'll look at three or four verses together in just a moment. But Acts chapter number 2, in, in a passage we're familiar with, in verse number 41, the Bible says this, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now can you imagine that baptism service and uh, what happened there? And then the Bible says this, that they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And then the Bible says this, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, what, you, what I want you to notice is this thought is what we believe to be true about ourselves is, is that we're continuing in the apostles' doctrine. And somebody said to one time, preacher one time, said, what would you be if you weren't a Baptist? The old preacher said, I'd be ashamed. That's what I'd be. That's just a little preacher joke you can enjoy. Uh, but you say to me, what does the Baptist faith mean? Or what does that mean? Or what does this? And my goal is not to tell you what's wrong with every church in town or in the world. My goal is to say to you that we believe to the best of our ability that we're adhering to the apostles' doctrine and we're continuing that on. Now today, I believe you find that in a Baptist church. Does that mean every church is wrong? No, that doesn't necessarily mean every church is wrong. Does that mean you don't find it anywhere else? No, that doesn't necessarily mean you don't find it anywhere else. But what it does mean by, by and large is you find in a Baptist church this body of doctrine. And doctrine is what's important. I, I Don't miss this. You can't pass experience on to the next generation, but you can pass truth on to the next generation. We all have different experiences. We, some of us grew up, we grew up in the station wagon generation. How many remember the station wagons with an eight-track? You put a Kenny Rogers eight-track in there. My kids will never experience that. They grew up in the minivan generation. 
And now we've got a little bit of this minivan and SUV generation. But if you've ever driven a minivan, there's lots of room in the minivans. I'll just go ahead and tell you. Lots of room for sour milk to be hidden underneath the car seat for three weeks in the Texas heat. How many of you have experienced those days? My point is I can tell my kids all about what it was like growing up, and, but that's an experience. But what I can teach them is truth. Now, if you go through history, I'll give you, I told you this just a second, I'm going to give you just a little history. You say to me, Brother Mark, does that mean that there's always been a Baptist church and, you know, there was like Colossae Baptist Church and uh, Ephesus Baptist Church? Not necessarily. And if you study history down through the ages, the names, there are several names associated with Baptist history. And I'm going to give you just three or four of them there and you can read them, but the Waldensians and the Paulensians and the... Uh, Alba Jensen's and the Henrikens and many others. You say, Brother Mark, why are you telling me that? I really am telling you that when you pick up a book and it talks about those. Those were that were outside the church of Rome and, and those were uh, identified with this basic doctrine. And you say, what do you mean? I mean the cardinal doctrine of justification by faith and the um, baptism of believers. Those are those cardinal doctrines. Now, I'm not talking to you tonight necessarily about stylistic things. I'm not talking to you about traditional things. There are things that I like traditionally. There are things that I, I, I like. And, 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 but some of those things are cultural and some of those things are per preferential. But what we are talking about is this cardinal doctrine. And you find it through the history of times. And then you get to the Church of England and you, you find this crowd, the Anabaptist. And you'll read about the Anabaptist and the rebaptized. You say, what was that crowd? That was the crowd that when an infant was baptized into the Church of England and then they got saved, they baptized them again as an adult. And you say, well, that, that was a, a very serious thing. As a matter of fact, they, the, many of the Anabaptists, they, they uh, navigated up to Switzerland and other places to escape persecution. But you say, why would they baptize somebody who had already been baptized? Because you don't find infant baptism in the Bible. What you find in the Bible is baptism of believers. And so they were trying to follow this apostle's doctrine. And, and in doing so, they got identified as Anabaptist or rebaptized. They were against the baptism, infant baptism, but they were for uh, salvation and then baptism. And so that's part of our history. Now, there's a lot of great Baptist history books. If you go to my office right now, I, I've got a shelf full of them. And I would encourage you to read the, uh, lots of good Baptist history books. But I, you see this principle statement that I want you to understand. People have identified with this body of doctrine in principle and practice throughout the ages, but not always in name. You may not always find the word such and such Baptist church in the history book, but you'll find other things and you'll find this. You say this, why is that important? Because we're trying to continue in the apostles' doctrine. So you see, first of all, a little bit of history. Then you find a second thing that I want you to understand uh, is the difference between being a Protestant and a Baptist. And you say, is there a difference? Well, not on some government forms, <laughs> but is there a difference? The answer to that is yes. You say, what was the Protestants? The Protestants' Reformation, uh, that's what Martin Luther, and you'll see every now and then that 95 Thesis and, and, and Zwingli and Luther and Calvin, those guys, they, they rejected the Church of England and they rejected that the salvation was in the church and they left it, they protested out of it. 
And they left it. And we're very thankful for their influence. You get the, uh, the old Bible Methodist churches and, and a lot of things out of that movement. We're very thankful for them. Bible Presbyterian churches. And, and they came out of the Protestant Reformation that was reforming. But let me say this to you. That we were Baptist peoples, the principles that we're talking about were never a part of the Reformation. Now, I know that is different for some of you than what you've been thinking, but notice what you find here was what Isaac Newton said. He said, it's his conviction that the Baptists were the only Christians who had not symbolized with Rome. You say, what does it mean that? They never joined Rome. They never joined the Roman church. They never joined the state church. You read the New Testament, Rome didn't like the New Testament Christians, and they pretty much so said, you can lock us up if you want to, but we're not going to stop preaching that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. And you find that in the book of Acts. And so to think that there was never a group of people that stayed out of Rome is a misnomer. If you look on the back of this sheet, there's a famous quote by the preacher of a generation ago, the most, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Most in print, I can't think of most read after preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Almost all of us have read something by him. He's got the great uh, devotional set morning and evening, and, and he's got a metropolitan pulpit. But you read a statement of what Charles Spurgeon said about Baptist. He says, we believe that the Baptists are the original Christians. We did not commence our existence at the Reformation. We were reformers before Luther or Calvin were born. We never came from the church of Rome because we were never in it. But we have an unbroken line to the apostles themselves. We've always existed from the very days of Christ and our principles and those sometimes veiled and forgotten like a river which may travel underground for a little season have always had honest and holy adherence persecuted alike by Romanists and Protestants of almost every sect yet there has never existed a government holding Baptist principles which has persecuted others. Nor I believe any body of Baptist ever held it to be the right to put the conscience of others under the control of man. We have ever been ready to suffer, as our martyologies will prove. But we are not ready to accept any help from the state to prostitute the purity of the bride of Christ to any alliance with government. And we will never make the church, although the queen, the despot over the conscience of men. That's pretty strong in England, <laughs> And what he's saying, you say, what is he saying? He's saying very simply, they were persecuted by the Romans. They were persecuted by those that protested, those that came out. The Anabaptists were some of the most persecuted people that you'll read about. And those are our forefathers. Those are our, uh, that is our heritage. And as Mr. Spurgeon said so elegantly, sometimes that river may not be clearly seen, but you know it's there and the truth continues on. And that's a powerful quote. That's not something that, that is not a new doctrine or a new thought. That is something if you study Baptist history, you'll find. So uh, you say, what's so significant about that? Now, there'll be people that drive by this church and they'll say, well, they got a pretty building. I think I'm going to go there. They got a cool kids program. <laughs> you know, I mean, they got nice teachers, and, and that's wonderful, and that usually makes a good first impression. I'm glad we got nice teachers. At least most of them's nice. 
And those things that that may not be, but at the core, what I want you to understand, at the core of who we are and what we're trying to do with our life is we look back to the first century Christians and saying, what we are doing today, though technology may be different, though some stylistic preferences may be a little different, though some traditions may be a little different, what we hold are these principles and practices at an unbroken line from the first century. So what we're doing with our our lives is very sacred. It's very serious. It's like, it's like the faith that was once delivered, Jude talks about, that's got to be contended for, earnestly contend for the faith. It is, it is in this essence as we've been handed the baton. Will we hand the same baton to the next generation? Now, obviously, there's some technology things. I, I got this little microphone on. And I told you when I first started wearing it, I felt like the, the tram driver at Dollywood. <laughs> tram stop D&E, Dolly's earrings. You know, we've all been on that. Clear in the front, clear in the back. That's what I felt like. You say, why are you wearing it? Because they tell me the sound is more consistent. And, you know, when you're up and down and hitting the microphone. And, you know, I remember when preachers wouldn't wear that microphone. And I remember when it was a sin to hold a microphone to sing. How many of you grew up in a church like that? It was anathema. You were performing if you held a microphone to sing. I remember when you couldn't preach in a blue shirt, meant you was a sissy. Now look at me. What I'm saying to you, those are not the things that people have given their life for. But the one true and living God, the only way of salvation, the saved, baptized, saved and baptized church of membership, those are the things that people gave their life for. You may go into some Baptist church and they may only be known by some quirk. But if you really study Baptist history, we're known by much more than some quirk. We're known by being adherers to the word of God. So it's important. We don't have a sign yet, but Lord willing, we're working on one. You say, what are you going to put on it? I'm going to put on a Pleasant Beach Baptist Church. Now, is it going to be pretty and look like that little logo with the steeple and all that type of stuff? Yeah, Lord willing, it'll be pretty and it'll be nice. But you say, why would you put that on there? Because I'm not ashamed of who I am. And I'm not ashamed of the type of church this is. I'm not saying to you, and I'm not against everybody else, but I'm not putting something out there like, guess what we are, and maybe if you come for a few years, you'll find out what we believe. Well, to me, that is, I mean, I like to know if I'm going to the orthopedic that that's an orthopedic. I don't want to go to the dentist if i got a broken foot. Now, as simple as that illustration is, you know. Now, look, I understand there are all kinds of Baptist churches and music and all those type of things are different. But I want you to understand what we have is a sacred heritage and a sacred responsibility. Now, notice with me, you see down at the bottom, I give you a couple other quotes. It says, Baptist people identify with people who are attempting to follow New Testament doctrine. That's what I've tried to say. And then John Christian, the historian in his two-volume set, he's got a two-volume set on Baptist history. He said this, The New Testament church is a company of baptized believers voluntarily associating together for the maintenance of the ordinance and the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in our essence, we say we are gathered together as a group of believers and we're here to carry out the ordinances and the Great Commission. That's what we're doing we may find different ways and different avenues to engage people, but at our core, that's what we're doing. And then you see this, our emphasis is on doctrine over a name, but the name Baptist historically identifies with the body of Christ. 
I hope there's not a day in our time where you would have to lose the name Baptist because the Baptist has a rich history and a lot of great heritage in it. Do you say, Brother Mark, do you agree with everything that goes on in every Baptist church? No, I don't, just like I don't eat at every restaurant in town either. You eat at every restaurant in town, some of them you walk in and say, man, it's pretty nasty in here, it smells funny. And what do you do? You say, I ain't coming back here. So just because they got Baptist on the front sign does not necessarily mean they're adheres to biblical truth. Now look up there at the top and you see distinction. 1 Corinthians chapter number 14 is a, a great understanding of this idea of distinction. It says in verse number 7, you, you see these references here. We're going to look these up, but I'll tell you that one reference is 2 Timothy, not 1 Timothy. I don't sound doctrine, but we'll look at these. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 7 says this, And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet given an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for the battle? So the analogy back to the idea of buglers announcing the charge, but if the bugler announcing the charge doesn't give the certain sound, then everybody else is confused. And so here you have it. You have the principle of clarity. Then you go with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4, just over a couple pages. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. To help if I found the right book. But notice this, and if you really want to go back reading, you can read with me in verse number 2. It says, preach the word. By the way, the preaching of the word should always be primary in a church. I love good singing. I love, I wish I could sing. Maybe if I could sing, my head wouldn't fit through that double door right there. Maybe God knew that. He didn't give me a singing voice, but the preaching of the word is the primary emphasis in the word of God. I'm glad we got good programs. I'm glad we got friendly people. I'm glad we got nice pews. I'm glad we got air conditioning, even though it's a little hot in here right now. I'm glad those things are there, but you see the emphasis on the Word of God. Then notice this, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. I've heard one preacher say it this way, two-thirds of that's negative. If a preacher don't step on your toes every now and then, let me rephrase that. If the Word of God doesn't cut you deeply every now and then, because I've seen some preachers throw some hissy fits, that ain't what I'm talking about. But if a man of God faithfully takes the word of God, it, it cuts pretty deep. Then he says, with all long suffering, what and doctrine? Notice those are connected. I'm afraid too many times we've got people with the right doctrine, but they ain't got any long suffering. It says long suffering and doctrine. Then the Bible says in verse number three, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, solidness, sound doctrine, but after... Their own lust shall they heap to themselves, teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from truth and shall be turned unto fables. And I'll be honest with you, we're there. We're there. They say, I don't like what that preacher said, so they find somebody to tell them what they want to hear. And you watch it, whatever, somebody wants to make me feel good. I, I need a positive vibe today. I, I need some, and you're like, what in the world? No, what you need is the word of God. <laughs> you need a positive vibe today. 
You celebrate our experience. I'm not talking about experience. I'm talking about the truth of the Word of God. And by the way, don't make fun of the preacher. I'm not talking about this one. I've heard guys that stumble and stagger, and you think, man, they, they're not quite with it tonight. I've heard people that, but if they stand up and teach and preach the Word of God, that is an honorable thing. And by the way, it builds soundness, sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Doctrine just simply means beliefs and teaching. So somebody says, I'm not into all that doctrine stuff. So what you're saying is you don't believe in anything. I mean, it sounds spiritual. They think it sounds spiritual. Doctrine divides. No, I say, well, I just, I, I get, and I'm sorry, I'm on metal just a little bit. But I get so sick of this crowd that says, I'm just into Jesus. Well, which one? The one that the disciples stole his body? The one that was... A created being like the Church of Mormon believes? The one that didn't bodily die, he just swooned in his death and woke up after a three-day nap? So which one you believe in? Or do you believe the one that was uh, left heaven's throne and uh, came to Bethlehem's manger and is coming back again that we talked about? So you say, well, all that, that does matter. Do I believe in the one that he says he's the author and finisher of our faith? He didn't put a down payment on it and me pay the rest of it. He paid it all. You say, where do you get that? That's doctrine. That's in the Bible. So I just like, I believe about faith in God and Jesus. Well, who's going to tell you who Jesus is? That's the word of God. You find the distinction of sound. You find the certainty of clarity of sound. Then you find the, the soundness of doctrine in Titus chapter number one, which is just the next page in my Bible. In verse number nine, it says the same thing, holding fast the faithful word as it's been taught. I'm talking about the bishop and the pastor, what he's supposed to be. He's to be holding fast the faithful word as he's been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine to exhort and to convince against her. Say, so how are you going to convince those that are without? You've got to understand sound doctrine. Then you find it in chapter 2, verse number 1. It says, again, the aged men be sober, grave. Or verse number 1 says, but speak the things, I'm sorry, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. And then he talks about the aged men and the aged women. So we're talking about soundness of doctrine. Now I want you to turn one other place here that is not marked in this passage, but write down 2 Timothy chapter number 2 and add that to your notes tonight. Now I understand that some people are going to come to this church because you're nice to them. And I'm thankful. That is good. I, I, I'm thankful that some people are going to come to this church because they know somebody. By the way, 85 or 87% of the people that visit a church visit because they've been personally invited by somebody. <laughs> and all the campaigns and all the cards, and, and I'm glad we do that from time to time, but that people come to church because they've been invited personally. But at the core of it, we're talking about what we believe. Now look at 2 Timothy chapter number 2. It says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Notice this. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. 
Now, here's what I want you to understand. What the apostle Paul is telling Timothy under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he says, you know all those things that I've, I've taught you and I've poured into you, and we use this term today, mentorship. He says, how I've mentored you along and, and I've taught you. And you. He says, another place you know you've been with me in all different types of seasons and you know what manner of life I have and the purpose that I have. He says, you've been with me. He says this, now look, here's what you do with the truth that you've been given. You find faithful men to teach teach it to. See, somewhere along the line, we've got the mistaken notion that it's my responsibility as the pastor to teach everybody in this room and everybody outside this room. But what you find in the New Testament pattern is this, that the man of God or the pastor, the bishop, is to teach the men, and the, in this passage talking about men, and to teach them that they may be able to teach others also. Amen. Let me tell you this principle, and that is this. You're responsible for the truth that you've been given, not just to live, but to teach others with. Now, I don't expect you to know the Waldensians and the, you know, what time period they're from. Maybe somebody takes in this history and Baptist history and really delves into that. But to be able to say, well, look, uh, there are many historians that believe that uh, the Baptist church has existed and there's a group of people all down through the centuries that have taught the truth of justification by faith. Now, you see this little Baptist acrostic, and, and uh, you find it, and I gave it to you in an expanded form inside your notes. Now, we're going to spend the next several weeks walking through this, but this little note sheet gives you a, a synopsis. I didn't come up with this years ago. Somebody else came up with this, and this is a copy, and you can see down here at the bottom the sources where we got this particular one from, and every now and then you'll read it a slightly variations. But you find this statement in a day when political correctness is a clarion call, many churches are dropping the name for fear of needless losing a hearing just because of what they call themselves. Why do we keep the name Baptist as part of your designation? We're glad you asked. Historically, churches which adhere to Baptist distinctions have certain beliefs and practices that are common to them. And you read that. By the way, somebody else prepared this, but I, I, I believe it's the same thing. But you find number one is biblical authority. Now, look, I'm grateful for tradition. I'm grateful for, we have bylaws. I'm grateful for bylaws. We wrote them, and, and I know there's some things we have to do to exercise, out, uh, operate outside this building and outside our fellowship. But when it comes down to it, the Baptist people believe this very simply. The Baptist is the rule of faith and practice. Doesn't matter how the church you grew up did it. Doesn't matter how the church I grew up did it. It matters what the Word of God says. It doesn't matter if I say, well, I don't think this is bad, or I think, well, now I think that's outdated. No, 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 no. It matters what the Word of God says. That's why we've got no sound doctrine. Then you see a second one. You see the autonomy of the local church. You say, what does that mean? It means very simply that there's nobody outside this church that tells us what to do. That's why, for one, I can't be a part of a denomination. Because I don't find it in Scripture. You say, you mad at everybody that's part of a denomination? No, I'm not. But I don't think anybody outside a local assembly should exercise authority or influence on a body of believers. By the way, inside the independent Baptist, that's why I don't follow just a certain little crowd. And What's this evangelist think or what's that evangelist think? It can be the same problem. You can have it inside a denomination or outside a denomination. Oh, there are wise men I counsel from and people I get advice from but they don't exercise authority over a local congregation. 
Then you find the priesthood of believers. You say, what does that mean? That means you don't pray to me, you pray to God. Everybody has the same access. And we're going to go over these things the next few weeks in detail. Then you find two ordinances, believer's baptism, which we've already emphasized, baptism by immersion for those that have trusted Christ. And then you find the Lord's Supper. On the back, now personally, I'll just tell you this, I don't call it communion. I call it the Lord's Supper. You say, why? Because communion sounds Catholic. I mean, that's a personal preference. So we're having communion tonight. Well, not really. I like to call it the Lord's Supper. Now, I'm just being blunt with you, but you find the Lord's Supper, or some people call it the Lord's Table. Then you find individual soul liberty. Now, this is the tenet of Baptist faith. This is, if I had to break it down to one or two things, this is one of them. That means this, that you can't coerce faith out of someone else. I, you don't stand over someone else. It's not like the Church of England or, or the Church of Rome where I say this to you, if you do X number, X, Y, and Z, then you're going to be right with God. If you, I have, I'm going to absolve your sins, and if you say so many prayers a certain way, then it's going to give you a right standing. No, you, you are individually accountable to God. Then you find the separation, the uh, two offices, I'm sorry, two offices, or I, I'm up here on save, I about skip save membership. Saved and baptized church membership, which we'll talk about in a little more. Uh, but look, there may be lots of people that attend a church, but in order to really be a part of the church is a saved and baptized church membership. Now, look, there are a lot of people that attend, but as far as being a part of it. And then you find, a, uh, I started to say third one, but we're way past number three, two offices. And you find, very simply, and we'll talk a little more about this in detail, is you find the idea of a pastor and deacons. Now, you find the terms pastor, elder, and bishop or overseer, but they're all referencing the same office. We'll talk about that. Then you find the separation of church and state, which we're dealing with in an every day, every increasing thing. And, and that is this. Yes, God existed. Look, God existed. God created, is what I meant to say. God created civil government. But God did not create civil government to overrule the church. And that's going to be a battleground. Look, that's going to be battling. And just be honest with you, that's going to be a battle from now till Jesus comes, because if you understand the one, one world order and the, uh, the mother church concept, those things are coming. But we're still going to fight as long as we can. Now, let me give you a couple things in closing and uh, just by way of application. I give it to you this way, dangers and errors. The dangers and errors, number one, is this concept called Baptist bride or sometimes called landmarkism. And that, that carries with it the idea that if you're not baptized in a Baptist church of a certain line, then you're not part of the bride of Christ. Now, that's really what Baptist bride... Now, I know I'm, I shouldn't uh, generalize it quite so specifically, but that's what it's talking about. So they say they're the only ones, like, uh, they teach that they'll be, they're the only ones that will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Everybody else will be the uninvited guest. I think that's an overemphasis on, on the Baptist faith. And so I'm not a Baptist brider, nor is this church a part of the Baptist bride movement. Then let me give you a second warning, and that is this, where we're the only ones going to heaven. Now, there's a group of churches in our town who shall remain nameless. They really believe that. <laughs> they believe we ain't got a chance because we weren't saved in their church. 
I could name them, but for sake of time, they usually listen. They got preachers listening to everybody. <laughs> Some of you just now figured it out. But that's dangerous. Now, look, I jokingly said if I wasn't a Baptist, I'd be ashamed. I couldn't go to just any kind of church. But I do, that does not mean that there aren't Catholic people saved and Methodist people saved. and Anybody who puts their faith and trust in the finished work of Calvary is saved. Now, some people get led astray. Some people get blown off course after that. Some people say, well, I was saved at a Baptist church, but then I, I went this way. We've all got family members that did that. What about people that was saved in some other denomination and then they end up in a Baptist church? So you, got, you can't, salvation is an individual matter between the Lord Jesus Christ and that person. So don't get the attitude and don't go out here and say, well, he said, he, he said we're the only ones that are saved. I didn't say that. So then here's the last danger. Well, if we're not the only ones saved and we're not the only ones with certain privileges in heaven, then why does it matter? That's the dangers of making no distinction. There's, that's just, that's the danger. And that's the, the fancy word is the ecumenical movement. As long as they're talking about faith or talking about God or talking about whatever, that's why there are certain preachers. Look, I, I can't promote them. I wouldn't have them because I, I, there is a distinction in mind. And one of the things you find is a call for the distinctions. Jude chapter number, as I say chapter one, there's only one chapter in Jude. But when he said this, he said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered. Pastor Sexton, you said this way, and I don't know where he picked it up. He said this, the faith was once delivered, but it's got to be contended for in every generation. So we have a body of doctrine. We have the word of God. Oh, it's under great attack. But another thing is this, the spirit of our age is everybody's right. Somebody says, well, as long as they're sincere. What if they're sincerely wrong? How do you know that? Well, the sound doctrine. How do you know if they're, you, you look somebody in the faith and you say, yes, sometimes you have to look somebody in the faith. Well, that's just not in the Bible. <laughs> You can do it. Look, here's the thing I want you to understand this. You can do it with a smile on your face. The Bible says it this way in the book of Ephesians, speaking the truth in love. Now, I've met some men that would almost make me not want to be a Baptist. You say, I can't believe you said that. Some of you have met them too. Don't, don't look around. They're so hateful and mean and just, I mean, just terrible. And they taught some good things. I remember one time about a preacher uh, a generation ago, and I, I was surrendered to preach. And uh, I was curious, and I was young, and I said to my father-in-law about a certain guy. He had a lot of books. I won't call his name, but he had a lot of good books. And here's what he said to me. He said, man, he's got a lot of good things, but you've got to watch his spirit. <laughs> and what I'm challenging you is this. To have an active church, a church that's, Lord willing, have a good Bible school and, and have youth trips and, and have senior friends Bible school and, and have clean nurseries, and you don't have to give up your distinctions of being a Baptist church. 
And so you can have it both ways. You can be active in reaching people, but you can hold fast the pattern of sound words. So my challenge to you is this. Know what you believe, why you believe it, and then look, be able to teach it to somebody else. Now, you're probably not going to outline this and stand up here with a microphone for 35 minutes and say, well, this is it. But, you know, when you enter into a conversation. Now, look, I don't enter into a conversation that I'm not generally invited to. But being a preacher, I find myself in some interesting conversations. And what I'm not going to do, just to be honest with you, I'm not going to violate my conscience and lie to somebody when they say something just not true about the Bible. Now, I'm not going to go listening in Walmart for everybody to say, you know, that's like the one meddling with the dog ears the proverb talks about. You get bit. I don't remember the exact proverb, but you, you know what I'm talking about, right? I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about when they say things to you about, well, I, it's all, uh, all, uh, we're all going to get there some way. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> so for you and me to hear that and then walk on by, to me, that violates my conscience. I can be nice about it. I say, well, about Jesus said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's why he came. I mean, I believe the Bible, Jesus said it. I didn't say it. Now, I didn't say, you heretic, you heathen. I didn't say you blasphemer because some people don't know the truth. Now, some people have turned from the truth, but some people don't know the truth. What our responsibility is, look, is to hold to what we've been given, to know what we believe, why we believe it, and to be able to teach it to other people. Now, I get it. Some people may have better skills at teaching in public. But all of us, if you, find, uh, if you find that pattern there about speaking the things which become sound doctrine, that passage is in there about the aged men and the aged women teaching the younger men and the younger ladies. So we all have that responsibility. And especially at this point in our church's history where we are and there's some new things, that, uh, people have to understand who we are. Not, not going to be mean, not going to be hateful, not going to be rude to people and not going to fight over some things but when it comes to the doctrines of the word of God we have to stand firm on it and we have to understand why so we look at this introductory thought of why we're a Baptist church the next week Lord willing we'll talk about a biblical authority what does the where did the Bible come from how did we get it why do we use this translation of scripture those are questions that we'll deal with in the next couple of weeks. Let's pray together.